You do this job because you make a difference in people's lives. You can't buy that. And when I tell the young kids in my office, I said, you're all underpaid. You're all overworked. You've got a stack of files every single day. But remember, every file is important to somebody. It may just be a punch in the nose case. It may be a stolen motor vehicle case. It's important. When crimes are broken and they're against you and your family or your kids, no crime is too small to be prosecuted. Welcome to Political Contessa. I'm Jennifer Nassor, and this show is here to support your interest in center-right politics, policy, and breaking news. Listen in and discover how to awaken your inner ideal candidate and, if you're ready, how you can jump in and change the world as a runner or a supporter. Welcome to Political Contessa. If you or a friend have ever considered running or you know a woman who should, I've got something just for you. My quick guide called Secrets from the Campaign Trail. It will show you five signs to tell you you're ready to enter the political arena. To get these tips and learn about all new podcast episodes and ways to get involved, head over to politicalcontessa.com. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Political Contessa. I am Jennifer Nassor, and I am your Political Contessa. Today, on this episode, I have with me Massachusetts Plymouth County District Attorney Tim Cruz. And Tim has been the district attorney since maybe 2001, I believe. Um, so about 21 years. He's an amazing district attorney coming up on election season. And I thought it would be really phenomenal to have someone who has done some really interesting work. And, and as you know, for me as a Republican, I'm not a super conservative Republican. I am what I think a, is pragmatic and conscientious. And I am always looking for people to come on the show who I think are making a difference in the world in some way that their own political beliefs don't actually mean anything in their job. What means something is the work that they're doing and being able to have a voice to help those people who can't otherwise help themselves. So this district attorney, Tim Cruz, went to BC and then he went to Suffolk Law. I was actually a board member at Suffolk University. So I love when I have guests that went to Suffolk and he worked both in the private sector and as an assistant district attorney before becoming the DA. And so please welcome with me, District Attorney Tim Cruz. Jennifer, thank you so much for having me on. It's a pleasure to see you again. Uh, we haven't seen each other in a while, but I follow you and I think you're doing a great job. Thank you so much. Well, the feeling is mutual. I know we used to get to hang out a lot back in the day and pre-COVID and um, I feel like everyone has hit their own areas and and don't come out <laughs> anymore. But so look, it's election season right. and, and you know, we see all the craziness. Right. And I think being a Republican these days, especially in our neck of the woods, is kind of like you people hang uh, garlic around their necks when we come around and, you know, right. oh, God, it, what are they going to say? <sighs> but I think you are very similar to me in wanting to make sure that, you know, things are not political, that the work that you do, the work that I do is, is actually 
for the good of everyone. You know, I, I tell our Democratic colleagues in Massachusetts all the time, one party rule is not good. You might not like Republicans and maybe you don't like some of the ones that are running, but at the end of the day, you need to have those of us that are conscientious, that are considerate, that are kind, that really want the best for society on either side of the aisle. You want those people. You don't want people who just want to get elected to say, I got elected to a position to rake in a salary that is paid for by the taxpayers, and then they use the mantle for their own political gain and for their own career and to push them up through this, like, you know, through the different positions to become something else. And and I am completely opposed to that. So um, that is one of the things I always talk about on my podcast, you know, for women running for office, for anyone running for office, or for anyone helping a candidate is help someone that you truly believe in. And you are one of those people who you actually practice what you preach. And, and you've done some amazing things as district attorney over the past two decades. And I would love for you to let my listener know what it is that a district attorney can do to really change a community and to impact the community that they're in. Well, I mean, thanks so much. I mean, the, I like yourself. I am the vegetarian at the Cattle Ranchers Convention. I am the last standing Republican district attorney in Massachusetts. Uh, so when you want to have two voices at the table, it's important. I believe that also you can have a civil conversation with people who have different beliefs than you do. Uh, so I've been used to that. You know, I've been doing that for a long time now. And I believe that this office, this position is incredibly important. And I he- am here in the, the county where I was born, where I was raised, where I raised my family. And I believe in this job. And I think that when done correctly, you can make a difference in your community. You can help the people who need it the most the victims who don't have a voice, the people, the seniors who need your help, the children who are being hurt or abused, you have an opportunity to do something. And I've watched over the years as we've gone through Plymouth County and we've watched our changes here. I mean, Plymouth County is approximately, you know, 800 square miles. It is uh, 530,000 people uh, in here. It's very big and it's very diverse. In that, you know, we have an urban section, a suburban area, and rural areas. So you really get a taste of many things that are going on. But one thing that's struck me over the years is how do we get in front of a lot of our problems that we have? How do we break cycles of domestic violence? How do we break cycles of children who are watching uh, through no fault of their own coming from broken homes and they don't have somebody in there that can tell them to behave the right way? We've watched, you know, through our nationally accredited Children's Advocacy Center here in Plymouth County, uh, which has been up and running. It was we were running it out of our office when I first became DA back in November of one. Now we we share space with BMZ, which is Brockneary Multi-Service, and we use the resources there to make sure that the children who are hurt, the kids who, you know, we had a thousand kids last year in our county who were physically or sexually abused. And even though we can't prosecute the vast majority of those cases because the kids just aren't able to go forward, they're not mentally stable to do it, they can't deal with the trauma that they're dealing, they're high at-risk children, we need to get those kids help. So we deal with BAMSI and we make sure those kids get resources. We deal with our PD SANE nurses, the sexual assault nurses, making sure that we can get them those resources. And because if you're not helpful with the kids today, the children today who are the victims could very well become tomorrow's perpetrators. That's how you stop that stuff. And that's how I think by by getting in front 
and helping those kids, it has made a significant difference in our county. And I'm really proud of all the people that are working together. Certainly not me. It's it's a bunch of people, you know, professionally trained people, people who go to school who deal with those those significant issues with these children. And in trying to do that, you know, we have kind of morphed what we do. We now are dealing many trainings and education things. We just got a grant for human trafficking uh, that we're dealing here with health imperatives in the city of Brockton. We're dealing with commercial sexual expectation of children. And all those things have something in common, whether it be uh, domestic violence, child abuse, CSEC, human trafficking. They don't have zip codes. They happen everywhere. It doesn't matter if it's Plymouth County. It doesn't matter if it's Suffolk County. It doesn't matter where it is. It's there. How do you train the professionals out in your world? The first responders, the police, the fire, the EMTs. How do you help them know what they're looking at? Because many times they don't. So as we've been going forward through what we've started back in, I think it was about 0203, dealing with children who witnessed traumatized, were traumatized because of what they witnessed violence in their lives. And it started from a case here in Brockton. We were notified of a Brockton school system that uh, these three young kids the night before had shown well they showed up at school the next day but the night before they were in their home in a multi-family home here in brockton and some drug dealers went to rip off a drug dealer the problem was they went to the wrong floor they went to the second floor not the third floor in the second floor lived the mom her three kids 12 10 and 8 and they pistol whipped the mom they pushed a 12 year old kid down who tried to help his mom and the police showed up the drug dealers eventually left they figured out they were in the wrong spot they were gone those kids show up at school the next day and when you are 12, when you are 10, when you are eight, you believe the whole world knows your business. And what do you feel like when you show up at school the next day and nobody says anything to you? You think they don't care. They're not, they're not going to help you. So I'm just going to be myself. I'm going to take care of myself. It's just what happened to my mom last night. So we found out about this from talking to the school system. And that's when we started teaming up with uh, the TLPI, Trauma Learning Policy Initiative, Harvard Law School, Mass Advocates, training our schools on how to deal with kids who witness violence. We did it in a, in a number of junior high schools here in Brockton. Our numbers plummeted as, as pertains to office referrals and, and suspensions that were going on in those schools. So we actually we hit the road. And uh, we ended up talking about, we were calling it originally red letter. And a lot of these ideas come from a variety of different other sources. And we were talking about myself and some of my office down in West Virginia and for one of their school symposiums. And they took it and they ran with it. And they call this program now of the school being notified by the police the night before without breaking privileges, without breaking medical confidants. They call it handle with care. So if something like that happens in one of our 10 communities in Plymouth County, we have Plymouth County handle with care right out of our office now. That night something occurs. The next morning, a police officer calls the school and all they say, is Tim Cruz, handle him with care. They have been trained to deal with kids who have dealt with trauma in their lives. And if it's too much for them, if the little child who's been quiet his whole life is suddenly acting up and they can't control them, they can get, get resources to them and help those kids. We've watched our numbers go down. It works. That's what's important about it. And you know, from there, when we dealt with the drug epidemic, which began seeing here in Plymouth County in 2012, 2013, we noticed that our fatal unattended opiate uh, overdoses doubled in a year. And all of a sudden, you see all these deaths going on. And heroin and opiates are nothing new. I've been a prosecutor. I was a prosecutor back in the 80s. I was a, an intern, and then I was an assistant DA for four years under Bill O'Malley. Heroin and opiates have always been around. But now as we go forward, we were dealing with oxycontin, oxycodone, all these other very strong chemicals. So have a good, a good uh, basis themselves if they're used correctly. But they were being used out in the world and their street value came so much. And then we're morphed into fentanyl. And you see people who are dying 
And the same thing happens now. What, what do you do with the kids who are watching their mothers, their fathers, their sisters, their brothers? They're watching this stuff. This is trauma that they're dealing in their lives. What this is and what they call it in that world is adverse childhood experiences. And the more adverse childhood experiences a child has in their life, they're going to potentially start using drugs themselves. How do you help that kid? So now we're training our first responders. We're training our police. We have Plymouth County Outreach, which is a great program out of our task force down here. And we're training them to know what to look for. Look for toys. Look for kids' shoes. Look for kids' clothes. The kids may not be there. Look for the kids. Make sure we can contact the schools the next day and get them the help that they need. And if they need more than that, we need to continue going forward from there. So it's been incredibly successful. And everything kind of works together. You know, whether it be the, the police, whether our task force, which is all of our communities, 27 communities. We have Plymouth County Outreach now down here, which is basically we have all 27 police departments sign an MOU. And what it is, is that if there is a non-fatal opiate overdose within 12 to 24 hours, say the, there was an overdose in a non-fatal in Plymouth, but the people lived in Brockton. Within 12 to 24 hours, a recovery coach and a plainclothes policeman are coming up and they're bringing information how to get help. There's still a huge problem with the stigma of opiate overdoses. People don't know where to go. They don't know what to do. They're looking for people to do things. When we saw a void in the gap, and we see that the criminal justice system is a depository of drug issues, mental health issues, broken family issues, it all ends up in our lap, and we're ill-suited for it. We need to get in front of these things. And that's all the things that we've been doing down here over the years have shown, and I think they're working. And on the other end, the restorative justice dealing with getting men back to work, kids, guys who are doing time uh, that need help with education, anger management, parenting skills, get them together. We do career-friendly job fairs every six months. Myself, the Sheriff Mayor Sullivan down here, and we get guys real jobs. We're dealing with IDEW, electrical workers. We're dealing with plumbers, trades where you can make real good money out there in the world, not just getting a job at McDonald's or something. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's a different sort of skill set. And as you put all this stuff together, all the things that we're doing here, you know, as we still hold people accountable, as we still get guns off the street, we've watched our crime numbers plummet over the last seven years. I'm not talking just COVID numbers. I'm talking here in the city of Brockton, our homicides, our rapes, our robberies are down 20%. Our shootings are down 35%. Our people being shot are down 25%. There's a method to the madness. And, and if you can get in front of all these things and if you can juggle all these balls and most importantly, get other groups to work with you because nobody can do it alone. If you can do that, you can make a difference. And I think that's what we've done. And at the same time, our incarceration rates have plummeted. As of the end of July, there were 83 men, 83 doing time at the Plymouth County House of Correction. In the Department of Correction, which is the more serious cases from uh, you know homicides and, and robberies, rapes, human trafficking, drug trafficking, that's been cut in half in the last 10 years. Massachusetts is 50 out of 50 incarceration-wise, and we have the le less people in jail per population. Because it's not just me, other DAs, I know Worcester DA, Joe Early is involved with many of the programs that we do, they're following each other. No pride of authorship. Take what we have and make and fix it, put it in your community. See how it works. When you see incarceration rates going down, you see crime numbers going down, I think it's working down here. I love everything that you're working on. You know, we hear so much about progressive DAs now and, you know, how you see in New York City and you just let everyone out on the street. And, and that's the way of, of solving the problem, right? In the meantime, 
there's a, a little bit of the nimbyism, I think, that goes on that people think that there are no drugs in their backyard, that there are no domestic disputes in their backyard, that there are no kids being abused in their backyard, right, in their towns. And you have some beautiful towns in your in your district as well as, you know, a city that's a tough city. And I think to one, recognize that there's, like you said, there's bad stuff that goes on, whether it's the most affluent town or the poorest town. And there are people that need help in all of those. And I think one of the problems that I see when district attorneys make their position political instead of more community-based is that you're not actually taking the people who need the help into consideration the way that you're talking about and how you do, which is you want people to be reunited with their families. You want them to have good jobs. You want them to have good paying jobs. You want them to learn a trade. You want them to be a productive member of the community, you know, for for children, knowing and understanding that a child is so sensitive to what they see at home and how they take it with them. And if they're told, don't tell anyone, or if they feel like you said, I mean, you know, having young kids, you know, they think the entire world knows what's going on, you know, with social media, or they think that they're not perfect enough and it causes problems down the line. And my belief is always, and I think universal pre-K is, is the way to go because you can't just say at 40, we're going to solve equality and equity. You need to start doing that when they're little and teach kids how to read and how to write and how to sit in a, in a seat in class and teach them respect and teach them everything that they need to know. And it's, you know, the same thing with these kids. Like if they don't, they don't know what they, they don't know what's right and they don't know what's wrong because when they just are in a home where there's abuse or where there are drugs, and then you think, well, this is just normal and where else am I going and how do I get out of here? And I think that there's unfortunately kind of a centrifuge, right, of just you get into that system and you can't get out. And it's really nice to know that there's someone like you, your office, and look, at the end of the day, you know, you run, the, you run the office, you run the district attorney's office to know that someone like you is out there and actually paying attention to the needs of the community and, and not just to a headline, which I think is really important, especially today. No, I agree. I mean, listen, I, I've been a criminal trial lawyer here in Plymouth County for 37 years. Uh, I've been a DA now for 21 years. I've never wanted to be able to do anything else. I've never wanted to look for a people. Oh, Cruz, you're a Republican. There's a lot of room for you to move. I'm not that. I'm not interested. I I think I found my niche. I think that you know, in working together, dealing with drug endangered kids now, and trying to make sure that we can help them as best as we can. Uh, I I think that it's working. I think I, I think our numbers bear that out over a good seven, ten years, and I think that we're going to continue to do that. But we're also always, you know, you got to be malleable. You got to be able to roll with it a little bit and figure it out. And uh, because there is no, uh, sometimes we're all pounding square pegs into round holes. And so I will talk to the, the people that I need to, to say, what direction are we going? How can you take this program? How can you use this? How can we take your program? How can we use this? The great thing amongst a lot of the DAs that are out there is that, uh, and I'm on the board of the national DAs and I'm, I've been vice, I'm, I've been vice president and president of the mass DAs three or four times. Uh, so it, it just rotates over the years. Uh, but on the board of the national DAs, we're really able to talk and see what's going on in the rest of the country and watch how we all have similar problems. 
And as you watch the quote unquote progressive DAs, the defund the police DAs, the people with no cash bail, the people who don't want to deal with those issues, to me, that's the wrong thinking. It doesn't work either. You just have to look at San Francisco, LA, Philly, Baltimore, New York. It doesn't work. People need to be held accountable. We have to have you know, a, a civility here, and we have to make sure that people are not you know, using drugs on the street and going up and assaulting people for no reason. Uh, you know, I, I feel that, you know, the job that is so important that and I, I've been on call basically for the last 21 years. If there's a murder in our county, I'm, you're generally going to see me. That's when people recognize me. It's never for good things. It's always because I'm always at a scene and, I, and I'm there and I have a job to do. Um, many times I'm told when you meet me one on one, you're such a different person than what I see on TV because I go, that's my job. And there's a reason why I'm doing things and there's a reason why I'm saying things. Uh, but I believe that, you know, that I am, as we said before we started today, I am not a progressive district attorney, but I believe that I am progressive in the direction that we're going. And I think when you look at that and you're willing to not put labels on things, because uh, it, it doesn't really matter, you know, how do you help somebody? And I often think of, you know, I've been asked many times, well, why don't you go out, why don't you go work for a big firm in Boston? Why don't you go make some money? Why don't you go do something like that? And, you know, what what do you feel from doing this job? How how can there be something there for you? And I often think of a few years back, I was at an event. I was running around on events and uh, it was pouring rain. I ran into the place. It was pouring rain. When I came out, I had to wait. My umbrella, of course, was in the car. It was a good quarter of a mile away. I had to speak somewhere else. So I, I just took my time and waited for the rain to stop. And a young woman was there and um, probably 35-ish, 40-ish. And she came up to me and she she said, you're Tim Cruz, right? Right. And I said, yep. And I, you you know, I'll be honest with you, you never face. really know what that's going to be. That, that can be good. That can be bad. I don't know. And it's gone both ways in the past. And I said, yes, I am. And she goes, well, that's great. She goes, I, I, I vote for you every four years. I go, well, thanks very much. I appreciate that. And she then says to me, she goes, you know, do you remember me? Another dangerous question, because most times I don't. I mean, I'm, I've been 20, DA for 21 years now. I've been around for a while. And I said, I'm sorry, I don't. And what she said to me was, I'm not surprised. The last time I talked to you, I was six years old. And when she told me that, I knew who she was. I knew that she was a victim of a case that I prosecuted in 1986. Her and another little girl had been hurt. And what she said to me was, you know, I was a little girl then. And you and the people in your office were so good to us. We brought them to court with their parents a number of times, brought them into the courtroom. They were little, they were babies. And, and try to try to get them to understand they had to tell the truth. And if I told you my shirt was blue, is that a truth or a lie? Things like that. And she said, but I was too small to really understand that. We, we, did, we did what we had to do. We went in, we testified. The person that hurt them was convicted. But she goes, but I didn't understand it. I never said thank you to you. So I want you to know that I, I thank you, the other little girl, thank you, our parents thanked you oh, for everything God. that you did, and we'll never forget it. That's why you do this job. You do this job because you make a difference in people's lives. You can't buy that. And when I tell the young kids in my office, I said, you're all underpaid. You're all overworked. You've got a stack of files every single day. But remember, every file is important to somebody. It may just be a punch in the nose case. It may be a stolen motor vehicle case. It's important. When crimes are broken and they hurt, they're against you and your family or your kids, no crime is too small to be prosecuted. We have a constitutional oath to look at all of our cases. And maybe a case will be diverted. Maybe a case will be no-cross. Maybe a case will be dismissed. Whatever. Look at the case. Assess it. It won't take you very long. It's not, it's not brain surgery. You look at that case. You look at the case in the file. And you make a decision from there. 
And when you do that, people feel that they're part of the system. They feel that they're being taken care of. Talk to people, explain to them. I say, you tell people the unvarnished truth, you know, and the truth hurts sometimes. If the case is good, if the case is not good, what will you assess? You go forward and you tell them the truth. And when you do that, you're better off in the long run. And, and, and what I always tell people is I cannot guarantee you results. All I can guarantee you is effort and that we will do the very best we can to make you as whole as we can, to make our community better, to make our community safer. It doesn't matter what your color is. It doesn't matter what your gender is. It doesn't matter who you are. Everybody's the same in the eyes of the law. When I get a call in the middle of the night and said something bad's happened, my only question is, is what's the address so I can put in my GPS? I don't ask anything else. And when I get there, I'll find out more. That's what this job is about. It's not about thinking you're bigger than it. It's not about thinking you're better than other people because you're the DA. Like I tell people, if, if you're the, if you know me, the DA, oh, I know Cruz, the DA, <laughs> that's great. You know, that and three bucks, you get you a small coffee. And <laughs> you know, you get you enough. We have a job. We have a responsibility. That's the way I look at this. When I leave, because everything has an expiration date. When I leave, have I left? the county where I was born, the county where I was raised, have I made it better? That's what I want to be able to say. So you must listen to my podcast because <laughs> what I say all the time is it's about, to me, running for office and, and being an elected official in whatever capacity you are. It should be about leaving some sort of legacy and making sure that the world that you are leaving is better than it, you came into, right? And that's all of us just in in life. And as I get older, I, I, I think, you know, you look at it more and more as what do I want written on my tombstone? But I think, you know, in public office too is, you know, and I try to use my bully pulpit for this in making sure people are doing what is right and not doing what they think is going to get them a headline. And your story about that young woman made, you know, brought tears to my eyes and, and, and is really emotional because that's, I think, what one of the things I talk to the women that I encourage to run all the time, why I wanted to have this podcast, just in, in, in the global sense, was you hear so much on TV or you see on Twitter, it's people who get the most hits. It's TikTok who gets the most clicks. It's, you know, we've become this world of who is a celebrity because of the most outrageous thing that they say or they do. And instead, I want people to be engaged in politics, to work for politicians, to work on campaigns, to not even work for them, just to go out and talk. I, I mean, it's amazing how many women I know that are on the right that refuse to tell anyone that they're actually a Republican because they're embarrassed and afraid of losing their social status, which I find rid absolutely ridiculous. In the meantime, how about showing people that, you know, one, as women, we're not just motivated by, you know, what the media says that we should be motivated by, that we're much smarter than that. And when I want people to run for office, it's exactly what you were saying. It is you have a passion about something. You go in, you give it your all and you do the job because that's the job that you know you could do best at and you could be an influencer in a totally different way. And that's what you've done in Plymouth County is you have been able to be an influencer and change 
a community and, and gain the respect of people in the community as a district attorney who is the chief prosecutor. I mean, you know, to, to go out and to say, I believe in restorative justice, to go out and to really be concerned about kids and families and not just how many notches in your belt in prosecutions you get is, is really something to be so proud of. Um, and the reason that you've continued to get reelected and have the reputation you do. Well, I mean, thanks very much. I appreciate that. You know, but we, like I said, it's, uh, and like you said earlier, I'm the DA. I'm just the head of the organization. We have so many really good people every day who have, have understand the philosophy that, that I have and that we have collectively. Uh, and that's what makes a difference. Uh, you know, people working together, you know, for a better cause, a bigger cause. I'm, I'm not, I've never been called, I've been called lots of things. I've never called an influencer. Now it's, right? now it's like we're both millennials. Uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an old guy now. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have no idea what that stuff is. And, and, you know, for social media, they actually don't, I just figured out the fax machine, you know? So uh, I, I try to stay off uh, that stuff to the extent that I can, but you know, it's a big world and the world has changed in the, the 21 years since I've been DA. And, um, you know, we didn't, we used to make our signs out of wood and, and cardboard, you know? Um, and we didn't, we had uh, next telephones so that we, they were chirping all the time when I started as DA. Uh, and now we're in a different world. And I, I just think that, you know, the world's a tough place. The kids face a lot of challenges now, especially with all the COVID and other things going on in their lives right now, that now is the time for people to step up and uh, make sure that we can help them and put them so they can put their best foot forward, wherever they're going to end up, whatever they're going to do, uh, and make sure that we can help them as best as we can. And you're right. We have a job to do. And that job, sometimes when you make decisions, uh, that doesn't make you popular. But you have to be willing to do the right thing, it's whatever the cost is. The job is not important enough not to do the job. You want to keep it. You make the call. You bear the brunt of whatever it is because people many times make their decisions based upon half truths and half facts. And they don't know or they'll look at me and, and I can't say things because, because things are ongoing investigations. Whatever it might be, it's, it's I'm very, kind of lip locked on a number of things that, that you'd love to talk about, but you can't. So therefore, you do your job, you put your head down and do the very best you can. And that's why I appreciate going on shows like this. I appreciate what you do very much, getting the word out beyond uh, what normally I talk to, you know, here in Plymouth County. I'm um, kind of, that's the way my head's mind. I, I, I hang out down here. This is what I do. And I occasionally go to other places, but going on shows like this, and I, and I appreciate uh, the, and grateful the things that you're doing also, getting the word out, getting more people involved. One person really can make a difference, and you see it every day somewhere. And it may just be a little difference, but I'm thankful that we have people that can continue to do that. You know, tonight I'll be going to an opioid uh, overdose vigil. Uh, we'll do like three or four of them in the next couple of days, talking about the people that we've lost, the people that we've loved, and the challenges that we face, and how can we get in front and stop this crisis? You know, you, you, you have to be able to move and helping the kids, dealing with the opioids. It's all mixed together. We have a lot of good people down here, and I just appreciate the time to come on. Before I let you go, I have two questions, and, and I think this is because I'm a mother of a almost 19-year-old who just started college and, a, you know, two other kids, one other is a teenager, and fentanyl scares the crap out of me. I mean, I've given my kids, my brother unfortunately died of a, a drug overdose when he was 26, and there was, that was 
before fentanyl or, you know, whatever version it was before. But that scares the daylights out of me. So our drug conversations are very tough drug conversations of, you know, it's not just trying it and getting addicted. It's you try something, you could actually die, which I think is one thing. So do you see that going away? And then my other thing is that's also very um, has now become, you know, come to the forefront. And I just bought my daughter and her friends and her roommate these drink covers. They look like scrunchies and you could put them over drinks because of the whole roofie situation these days. Where are we? Is this stopping? Is there, I mean, we're in Massachusetts. It's not like we're near the Mexican border, right? So it's not, oh, it's just coming over from there. I mean, this is a real big issue. Is there a national push to figure this out, to stop it and to stop our kids from dying or our girls from getting raped? Well, I mean, you I mean obviously, I mean, it's, the, the the fentanyl is a is a synthetic opiate that comes from China, which is coming across the border, uh, down south, uh, and it's and it's working its way through the country. And of course, like everything else, it's 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 based upon money. Uh, the problem is is that we have fentanyl up here now. We have fentanyl, car fentanyl, other versions of fentanyl that are coming that are even stronger. You know, you have all these animal tranquilizers. That car, car fentanyl is an elephant tranquilizer. Oh my Ketamine God. is a horse tranquilizer. And we've had stories. I talked to the troopers in my office that. Basically, kids can't trust anything. If you're a young kid, 17, 18 years old, and kids nowadays at that age, when they're in high school, they're basically taught that marijuana is okay. They're taught it's organic, it's Mm -hmm. nicotine bad, uh, marijuana good. Notwithstanding the fact there's all different studies regarding the brain when it grows, when it can be affected and all that. And the bottom line is from all the professionals I talk to is that kids should stay away from drugs and alcohol as long as they can. You know, as long until they get the social pressure when they're going to be in college, whatever, the further you push it, the better off your brain is going to be. But fentanyl continues to be a significant issue down, down here and everywhere else. Uh, we continue to go hard after the dealers themselves. I just uh, prosecuted a manslaughter case for somebody that provided fentanyl inside Bridgewater State Hospital to somebody else that died. That person was convicted of that. I think that through our task force, we're trying to reduce the supply. We're trying to get the word out as best as we can, trying to help the people that are already addicted to it. But I think you're smart getting covers for the girls' drinks. That is a newer thing. I have not heard of that in our county. I have heard it in, in Massachusetts, though. Uh, and if I was a young girl or even a young guy, if I bought a drink, I would not let it leave my sight. And if I did, I'd get another one. And I'd be very careful about what you use, because like I said, kids believe marijuana is almost good for you. The problem, what we're seeing is that fentanyl is now lacing marijuana. And although I, I, I've said this a number of times when I go and speak about it, I was a big opponent of the legalization of marijuana. I didn't think we were ready for it. I think the last four years have proved that we weren't ready for it. In light of the fact that we don't have any uh, verification as to you, like for alcohol, 0.08, you're per se under the influence. You know, And we have a, that blood alcohol content. We have nothing like that with THC. We have no machines like that for THC. So I could do a whole show on this of what yeah. it's like. I was just walking through the Boston Common and I mean, there's there, you know, you smell marijuana smoke everywhere, everywhere you go. But if I wanted to walk around with a glass of rosé, I would get a ticket. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I find it I find it hysterical that, you know, when my kid was little and riding her scooter down the Com Ave Mall in Boston and people are smoking all around her, that's OK. Right. And so and, and they are they are educated today. There's there's nothing to say about, you know, drinking and driving. You have the blood alcohol level, but smoking and driving drive behind some cars going around at least in metro, you know, the metro Boston area, it's like driving behind Cheech and Chong's car. Yes, that 
tells you how old I am. <laughs> but I mean, it's, you know, plumes of smoke <laughs> coming I'm out. I'm right with you. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, you know, but the, the problem is, is that the kids nowadays, because of that, I find myself in the dichotomy of saying, you know, even though I'm so opposed to marijuana because of what it can do to the kids and their brain formulation, but the only marijuana you can actually trust is the marijuana you buy at the dispensaries. Right. If you right. buy it yourself, because if you go to a party, say graduation time, and somebody's passing a joint around, you don't know what's in there. Absolutely. You, That's you what I tell my kids. And, and, and your friends may not be trying to hurt you. They don't know either. And then you have the mixture of drugs, kids that are smoking marijuana, kids that are taking pills, that are drinking alcohol. That's a deadly mixture. And you got to be real kids. You make old kids drunk. We're going to put them to bed. That's sometimes the worst thing you can do. I mean, there's so many dangerous things out there for kids. Education is so key for these children to understand the crazy world that they're entering in right now. And I know they all think they're smarter than us and they all have their iPhones and they can go Google everything. But at the end of the day, they're our kids. They're our responsibility. And we need to make sure that we teach them as best we can, whether they're not always listening to us. I think they are listening to us, even when you don't think they are. So it's worth that conversation. Fingers crossed on that one. Thank you, Tim. <laughs> I don't know. I sent mine off to college and and I wanted to say to her professors, hey, she's going to clearly teach you something because she thinks I'm an idiot. She knows everything. So <laughs> I'm hoping we we all, we're all there. <laughs> Tim, thank you so much for being on my podcast today. And, and seriously, I would love I there I have we don't have enough time to talk about all the things that I really would like to talk about because I I think there's so much that you've worked on your work with kids your work with seniors your work on restorative justice your work on drug abuse everything I I think has is really remarkable um so thank you really for the work that you're doing out there and I know that you have lots of people that work with you and for you but they do that because they respect you and um, that is not something that I think happens easily these days. So thank you for being who you are and doing the work you do. And, and you, you too. Thank you for what you're doing. And, uh, and I'll be happy to come back anytime and uh, have an, another conversation. Excellent. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here today on Political Contessa. This is Jennifer Nassor, and that was Plymouth County, Massachusetts District Attorney Tim Cruz, who has been District Attorney for two decades. And you know what? The reason that we keep electing people like DA Cruz is because they do the work that they were elected to do, the work that you and I as taxpayers are paying for, the work that we need people to do because they believe that they work for everyone, not just one political party, but they work for everyone in their district and their community. So again, thank you for being here with me on Political Contessa. Stay happy, healthy, and safe. Thanks so much for listening to Political Contessa. For all the ways to listen and to get the inside scoop on what's happening in center-right politics for women like us, head over to politicalcontessa.com. 